Greetings faithfully. I love that we have an orange church. It's such a huge blessing. I'm Eric, one of the pastors here at the chapel, and I get to kick off a new message series today in the letter of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 1, one of my favorite letters in the New Testament. And one of the reasons it's my favorite is because it's so impactful. Now, it's only six chapters and 155 verses, but it packs a punch. In fact, Klein uh, Snodgrass puts it this way. That's a cool name, by the way. Klein Snodgrass. Pound for pound, Ephesians may well be the most influential document in history. Now, that's saying a lot. But contained within this letter to this church in Ephesus are questions that all of us need to have answered. Whether you're a Christ follower or not, these are big questions that all of us wrestle with. Whether it's what should we pray for or who are we or why is the church a big deal or how can we truly be unified, especially in our culture right now? How can we imitate God? How do we approach marriage and parenting? How should we see our vocation? So many things that as Christ followers, we need to wrestle with with Jesus. And if you're not a Christ follower, some questions that you need to answer as well. And hopefully that this letter makes an impact in your life as well. So we're going to kick off Ephesians by opening it up to the first couple of verses. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 2. This is Paul's introduction to this church in Ephesus. The letter, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now here's a map of Ephesus, where it's at. It's in modern day Turkey now. And you can see where it's at. It is a port city. And though it looks small, it is mighty. In fact, back in the day when Paul was writing to this church in Ephesus, it was the fourth or fifth largest city in the world. And because of its size and because of its location, Paul knew that it could have a profound impact in the world. And so he's writing to this church in Ephesus and he's telling them, look, you will have an impact for Christ so long that you remember that you are in Christ. And he's going to spend the first few moments reminding them of who they are. And this is important because he's writing to a church who's in a city where the Roman government would have oppressed their faith. They would have snuffed them out persecuted them, and ultimately possibly even killed them for the Christian faith. And the church located in this city in Ephesus was a city marred by materialism and sexuality and sensuality. Now, if I were to give you that description and not told you that I'm talking about this church in Ephesus, we could just say it's the church of Norwalk in America, right? I mean, we live in a place now where Christianity is not accepted like it used to be. If you call yourself a Christ follower at work, on social media, wherever that is, people are not going to say, awesome, I'm so glad you are. Tell me about your church. Most of the time, they're going to tell you why you're wrong. Or they're going to push something else on you. Or they're going to exclude you because Christianity is not widely accepted like it used to be. The same is true for the church in Ephesus. And we live in a culture where materialism, sexuality, it's all over. And we can get sucked into that if we're not careful. To remember who we are, or should I say whose we are. And so as Paul's writing this letter, he reminds them who they are. He says, you are God's holy people. This word holy means to be set apart. You're set apart from the world. 
You're this set-apart people who are faithful followers of Jesus. He's like, look, you need to be faithful unto God. And how you do that is by remembering who you are, that you are of Christ, or other translations say in Christ. And this phrase, of Christ or in Christ or united with Christ, is found 36 times alone in the book of Ephesians. So when you're going through Ephesians, mark every time you see united to Christ, of Christ, in Christ, with Christ. It's a reminder to the people of if you're going to survive in a culture where Christianity isn't accepted, if you're going to survive in a culture where you're tempted by materialism and sexuality all the time, you have to remember who you are and whose you are that you are in Christ. And he uses that 36 times. Then he starts off his letter by reminding them, okay, I say you're in Christ. Let me spell that out for you. And so we're going to look at a few verses this morning. We're going to start with verses 3 through 5. When I get to 6 through 8, I'm going to ask for audience participation. I'm going to ask that you read it out loud with me. So here are the next few verses in Ephesians chapter 1. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Underline that if you have a pen in your Bibles. Every spiritual blessing. We'll get to that in a moment. In the heavenly realms, because there it is, in Christ, we're united with him. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. There it is again, in Christ, to be holy without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Would you read this with me? So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Man, so much there. And what Paul is doing in these short verses is to remind us that we're in Christ and that in Christ he has given us every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms has been poured out to us because we are in Christ. Every spiritual blessing contained within God is given to us. What does that mean? Well, if I were to tell you every spiritual blessing that you have in Christ, we would be here for a long time, and the Browns play at one, so I can't hold you here that long. But I'm going to give you a few, just in these few verses that I'm hoping are tantalizing to your spirit this morning. What does it mean to be in Christ? How do we find our worth and our value in him? It's so beautiful what he's given us. First of all, we are loved. All of us desire love. All of us were made to give love. But the problem is we do so in a way that's conditional, right? We withhold love from people who don't love us certain ways. We don't receive love because we don't meet people's standards in certain ways. It's all conditional. We say, I'll love you if. I will love you when. I will love you but... And we know this conditional love. It's what we live in. No matter if it's your spouse, your best friend, a child, whoever that is, we unfortunately give and receive conditional love all the time. But in God, his love knows no conditions. This word love in the Greek is agape love, which means his love is based on his unconditional love and favor towards us. You can't earn it but you can't also lose it. 
It's a gift bestowed upon us because we are the object of God's love. He loves us when we don't. He loves us because of our past. He loves us when we fail. There's no conditions. It's unconditional love. And we get that. It's a blessing. We get to live in that because of Jesus. Not only are we loved, we are chosen. All of us know what it feels like to not be chosen, right? To be overlooked by something. I know I look like I probably belong in the NBA, but I just am not, unfortunately. I remember a time when I went out for the Perkins basketball team, and I for sure thought I was going to make the team. I mean, I could shoot. I was that guy when you needed a three-pointer, I was the guy in the corner. Just feed it to me. But I forgot that basketball also includes defense and dribbling and passing and running and being in shape. None of those I, that I was at that time. And so I thought for sure I was going to make the basketball team. All my buddies were, and this is going to be my year. And I go into the locker room excited, meeting with my coach. And all of a sudden he looks at me and he's like, Eric, I'm sorry, you didn't make the team. I was like, didn't you see me shoot the three? He's like, yeah, but everything else, not so good. Now, I wish I could tell you, like Michael Jordan, he was cut on his basketball team, and I went on to greatness. Obviously, I have not. But I was overlooked, and it hurt. My friends were chosen, and I wasn't. Now, my buddy, now that coach is actually a buddy of mine, and I make sure to tell him all the time, thanks for overlooking me. But it felt at the time like, man, I want to be chosen. Everybody wants to be chosen whether it's for a job promotion or a spouse or a friendship or to be included in something. All of us want to be chosen to say, yes, I want you for you. And oftentimes when we're not, that rejection, that hurts. Well, in Christ, you'll never have to worry about being rejected. Your past, God accepts it. Your personality, what maybe other people don't always like, he wants it. Your looks, it's not based on that for him. He just wants you for you. He chooses you. Not only does he choose to love you, he chooses to bring you into his family. You and I aren't part of God's family unless he adopts us and brings us in. And he chooses us to be a part of his family because he is in love with us. I love how Max Lucado puts it. God sought you, found you, signed the papers, and took you home. Anyone that has adopted a child, either uh, in our United States or internationally, man, that kid, or maybe you're the kid who didn't have a home, then all of a sudden this family who loved that just brought them in and just made them a part of their own family, and wow, that changes a person. So too does it with us when we are brought in. When we were on the outside of God's home, he brought us into his home, and now he calls us his own. He loves us. He chose us, chose us to be in his family. We get that because we are in Christ. And if that's not enough, all of this is made possible because we are forgiven and free because of God's grace and kindness. In verse 7, it talks about this word redemption. Redemption in the Greek literally means to be rescued from captivity, enchained, enslaved to our own sin, our own selfishness, living for ourselves, knowing how that wrecks our lives when we make life all about us. 
He takes the key that of all the chains around us. He takes it and unlocks it and just takes all the chains off and he frees us to be our true selves that can only be found when we find ourselves in Christ. Forgiven and free of our past. Forgiven and free of our future. We have a future because of Jesus. And all of these things are ours. All of these spiritual blessings from above he gives to us because we are in Christ. And I can't think of a better way to celebrate that other than taking the Lord's Supper together. So would you take out your communion cups? If you don't have a communion cup this morning, raise your hands and we'll make sure our team gets it to you. We have a couple over here. Green team, if you don't mind, thank you. A couple over here too. A couple back there. I want you to take out this delicious tasting wafer from your little package here. Do you know what this represents? Being loved, being chosen, being adopted, and being forgiven and free because Christ broke his body for you and I this morning. So before you take this wafer, I want you just to hold it in your hand and just thank God for all of the spiritual blessings that we have in him. Jesus says the greatest way to celebrate what he's done for us is to do this to remember him. So let's do this to remember him this morning. Now let's open up the juice, open it up away from you so you don't spill it on your Sunday best here. You know what this represents? Being loved, being chosen, being adopted, being forgiven being freed because of God's grace and kindness. This is a symbol of his shed blood for you and me. Though we don't deserve it, he gives it freely. So would you just take a few moments to thank God for shedding his blood for us? Jesus says the greatest way that we can remember him for doing this is taking this together. So let's do this to remember Jesus. Just take a few moments of silence and gratitude for God and all that he's done for us today. We are loved. We are chosen. We are adopted. We are forgiven. We are free. Jesus, that is a taste of the spiritual blessings that are available to us because of our new identity that is found in you. Jesus, for those of us in here who have found our identity in the world's way, found our identity in the opinions of others, found our identity in being accepted, found our identity in our social media presence, found our identity in hearing a good job from our boss, 
found our identity in something other than you, Jesus. We give that to you this morning, and in exchange, we take all the spiritual blessings that are found in you. For that is the only thing that satisfies, that's the only thing that brings contentment, it's the only thing that will allow us to truly live for you in this world. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We don't just live in Christ, now we go do for Christ. And Paul, he talks about to the church, look, there's three ways that I want to pray for you. Three ways that I want to see God work in and through you. Three ways that when the people think of a church in Ephesus or a church at the chapel, it's these three things. And he's going to pray for us these three things. And I want to look for that in a moment. But prayer means nothing if we are not willing to be the answer to that prayer. One of my favorite abolition, or abolitionists, Frederick Douglass, puts it this way. He says, prayers were really only answered when I started to use my feet. Prayers were only answered when I said, I want to be the answer to that prayer. Paul's going to pray something for the church, and essentially he's going to ask the question, what would happen if? What would happen if you became the answer to this prayer? And let me tell you, these prayers are profound and a game changer, not just for your life, but our church, if we truly believe what Paul prays for the church at the end of Ephesians 1. Will we be the feet, the answer to God's prayer? Here are the prayers, and it begins in verse 16 through 17. He says, I pray for you constantly, and I just want to stop and tell you that most people think that pastors work on Sundays. That is true. We do work throughout the week, too, sometimes. But we really, when we are working, I want you to know that part of our work is simply just praying for you. And so I want you to know, if Paul says, look, church, I pray for you constantly, I want you to know our, our pastors do the same thing for you. We love you. It says, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. If you want to know what to pray for me for, or to pray for our church for, or to pray for your kids for, or to pray for our community for, pray that they would know God. Pray that they, their knowledge of God would increase more and more and more. That's why we talked about the row, the circle, the chair, and the go environments last week. All environments for us to know Jesus and become like Jesus. Because when we know God, we start to see things through his perspective. And the greatest way that we can do that is to see people these people that God created and loved, even though they're different from us, that we see them all through God's eyes. I mean, think about that. What would happen if we saw all people, and I mean all people, those annoying people you work with, those people on the other side of our political beliefs, those people on social media we just want to delete, but we don't want to offend them, and so sometimes we mute them, and then we want to unmute them, and we don't want to offend them. Those people. What if we did that and saw people through their eyes? Imagine that. Imagine if we didn't just sit up on our perch and just judge everybody and look down on everybody and want to see people through our lens, meaning we want them to meet our standards. What if we saw them through God's eyes? What would happen? <laughs> Philip Yancey, he puts it this way. Jesus, who we're supposed to become like, by the way, Jesus had the uncanny ability to see everyone. That means your mother-in-law? Oh yeah, everyone. <laughs> With grace-filled eyes. And this is the most important part. See not only the beauty who they were, but the sacred potential of what they could become. 
when you look at people, do you see people through your eyes or God's eyes? The other day, I just had one of those moments. My wife calls it a pity party. I don't go that far, but I guess it would be one of those days I just had a pity party. I went to the football game on Friday. I'm a Perkins Pirate. We lost to Bellevue 26-0. If you're a Bellevue person, I don't want to talk to you, at least for another week or so. I'm still hurting. But I'm there, and you guys ever have something where you see a person or something that reminds you of a person and just triggers you? And I saw a person I've been struggling with lately, and it just triggered these thoughts in me. I just started to judge that person, get frustrated with that person. And then, of all people, hundreds of people in the stands at this game, this person is walking up towards me. I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, have them not sit by me. Oh, Lord Jesus, please help me here. They sat a couple rows in front of me, which was worse, because every time I looked down, I'd see this person's head, and I just wanted to lovingly... um... So, yeah, so... I was so angry. And then it just led to everybody else that were walking the stands. I was just shooting daggers at them and judging them. And I was just in such a bad space. And then the next day, I just continued on that in the morning. And my wife, she was working on something in the garage. And I went and sat there. And she's like, you still in your pity party? I said, yes. And I started to explain some things to her. And she's like, look, you can have the pity party, but it has to end. And here's why. You're not seeing these people through God's eyes. You see them through your eyes. You're judging that person. But how would God see that person? I'm like, girl, I don't need you to preach at me. And she's like, you need it. (laughs) She's right. I need a perspective change. It's so funny how I just saw people through the way I've seen them for so long. And I didn't actually say, God, I love you. And the more I'm in love with you and the more I know you, how much that will help me love people and know people the way that you do. Some of us need a perspective change. Some of us need to get off our perch, stop judging people, looking down on people. Start seeing people through God's eyes. And all those things that we talked about being loved and his kindness and his adoption, all those things he wants that for everybody. Maybe we should start treating people the same way. I know I need to. Paul continues on in Ephesians. Verse 18, he says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called is holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. What would happen if our hope in Christ inspired others to find hope? We live in the darkest, most hopeless times, I believe, in history. And we know everyone's hopelessness because we're so connected around the world. It just is so dark. It feels like every day I wake up, I look at the news, I'm like, oh, Lord, how can it get worse? And then, boom. I mean, it just feels like the world, we just around such uncertainty. It's so hard to find hope. But then in the text, Paul says, Christ follower, you have hope. You have an inheritance that can't be taken away. And no matter how bad the world is now, someday you get the world because Christ and you'll be in him and he has the world and you get to reign with him forever. We are the ones that have hope. When people bounce into us and run into us, is their picture of Christianity judgmentalism? Is it narrow-mindedness? Is it all of these things that the world really thinks? Or should they bump in us and say, man, that person has hope. I'm not saying the perfect person's perfect. I'm not saying the person doesn't have issues. But at the end of the day, there is something different. That difference is we're in Christ and we have hope to give to other people. 
I serve on the school board for Perkins. Pray for us. Holy smokes, it is not a fun position to be in. And I remember I was going to one of our um, principals, and he was just going through such a hard time. He can't make the right decision. If he does this, parents are mad. If he does this, teachers are mad. If he does this, his superintendent's mad. I mean, it's just so hard, and we're talking. He's like, Eric, I have all this uncertainty. My teachers feel all this uncertainty. I was like, I know, I know. I'm like, I don't even know what to tell this guy. Then he stops. He goes, but we have certainty, don't we, in Christ? Because I can't go out and preach Christ, but I can do it with my life. I said, yeah, you should. And I walked away from that so challenged. He is in such an uncertain time. He's walking with it with parents and teachers and superintendent and school board, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, he's like, no, no, no. My uncertainty is not truly uncertainty. It's, it's certainty in the hope of Christ. And I want other people just to see that and feel that in me. Do people around you feel that way? You have a confident hope. That can't be taken away. People need hope. It's going to come through, through, for, through you and me. What would happen if our hope in Christ inspired others to hope for the first time? And finally, he prays this. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. Okay. He said, okay, I want you to understand God's power. Now, if he left it undefined, we could try to figure out, okay, God, what is your power? But then he defines what God's power really is. Listen to this. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. He says the power that raised a dead person to life is in you and me. When is the last time we believed God's resurrection power was available to us? Do we walk around as victims or do we walk around as victors? So many Christians that I see just buckle. I'm like, don't you understand what's available to us? The same power, the same power that brought Jesus out of the grave. He is now reigning and ruling this world. Is the same power in you and I, Christian, to do amazing things for Jesus. If you believe that you always have to succumb to temptation, you don't know God's power. If you don't believe you can change, you don't know God's power. If you believe you can't speak to someone that doesn't know Jesus, you don't know God's power. It is available to us. What if as a church we believed it? What would happen in our families? What would happen in our workplaces? What would happen in our church? If we believe the same power, this dead-to-life power is in us, can we start living that out? Paul's prayer is that this would come true. God's prayers only work when we become the feet to those prayers. What would happen? What would happen? I just talked to a guy that can't come into church right now. He's too scared. I tried to talk to him for a long time in his truck. He didn't come in. And he says, I can't change. And I said, you're right, you can't. But... Scripture tells us when we're at our weakest, God can be strong. God's power is manifested when you and I say, okay, I'm done being God, now I'm going to let you be God. That resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead is in you and wants to come through you, will you allow it to be? Let's end our time with two next steps I'm just challenging you to take today. The first is this. Publicly declare that you're in Jesus through being baptized. If you've never been baptized, you need to stop saying, man, I wonder if I should do that. Today is the day where you should decide to do that. If you are a Christ follower, you need to publicly declare the hope that we have inside of us. You are loved. You are adopted. You are chosen. You are forgiven and free. We need to share that with the world. 
That's why right after this service, Pastor Charles is leading a class in C2, exploring what baptism looks like. It's such a great opportunity for you to express your in-Jesusness. I know that's not a word, but, but go with me here. To express that to the world that you live in Jesus and you want to live for him for the rest of your life. If you've not been baptized, today's the day to consider that. We have it in a couple weeks, but today's our meeting, so make sure you take part in that. The other end is this. To trust God's power within you, invite someone to church next weekend. And you're like, oh yeah, you're gonna invite someone to church. Yeah, I'm asking you to do that. You have family and friends that don't know God that need to be here. We'll do the hard work for you. You just gotta get them in the seat. I see a few empty seats here that I would love to see filled with your family, your friends, your coworkers and neighbors. We need it really easy. When you leave, we give you a card. It's gonna explain to them exactly what to expect. We're releasing brand new music last week that goes along with our Ephesians message series that's gonna blow your mind. We're gonna have a video on, we're gonna have a video of a guy named Alex that I interview that literally was down and out in ways that I didn't even know. It breaks my heart, but how God brought him back. We have so many things lined up for your family and friends. All you gotta do is invite them. If you're like, I don't know if I should, then you're not trusting God's power in you. He wants to come through you in incredible ways. You're here today because of his power. Let's invite someone else so they can discover that itself. So when you leave, you're gonna get one of these cards. On the front, it explains uh, how to connect in the back. It tells them the times. Take one, take 10, take a snapshot of it, text it to somebody. But I challenge you next week, that person in your life that you've been praying for, invite them. It's gonna be a really, really special service. You're loved, you're chosen, you're adopted, you're forgiven and free. What if we lived those things out in our lives? What would happen? Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for all the spiritual blessings that we can even begin to imagine. They are available to us. But Lord, we are not supposed to just take, we're supposed to give. So help us to be the feet to your prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to start off Ephesians the way we did in Revelation back in June with a verse that we want to say a lot. This is our benediction verse, our thankfulness to God. And so would you read Ephesians 3.20 with me? Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Have a great Sunday.